Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Most people who have ever worked the night shift will tell you it's creepy work. You walk up and down the corridors of wherever you are, your instincts working overtime, setting your mind on edge. We're hardwired to fear the night, a time for helplessness, a time in which we slide down the food chain, our bodies craving rest, our senses ill-equipped to cope with the dark. For me, it's never been an issue. If I'm completely honest, I kind of like it. When I do my rounds, I don't feel that fear. I feel peace. When I walk the halls at night, I don't have to deal with people rushing around or jabbering nonsense. No extra responsibilities or requests. No small talk, no empty pleasantries. Just the echo of my own feet on the floor bouncing off the walls. The soft sounds of the patients breathing as I pass their rooms. Sure, every now and then one of them wakes in a panic. Pretty rare, but it does happen every now and then. But all I have to do is call the on-duty nurse, and whoever takes care of it. I glide on. I finish my rounds. I go back to the front desk and back to my podcasts. Some of the chattier nurses complain as I pass their station about being stuck on the night shift. They ask me how I could possibly stand it. Don't I get bored? Don't I get sick of being tired throughout the next day? I tell them it doesn't bother me. I like the quiet. What I don't tell them is that it's the daytime that feels pointless to me. I don't have the friends to require daylight to spend time with. I don't have a boyfriend who needs attention. Mum died when I was a baby. Dad has his new family. That just leaves me. And I don't mind. You don't miss what you never had. I guess I'm what you call a loner. I think the nurses pick up on it. They don't often try to speak to me. The nicer ones flash me a smile when they see me. The assholes ignore me. It's all the same to me, to be honest. I always figured they probably wouldn't think much of me if they got to know me anyway. All in all, it's not a bad place to work. It's easy money. Not much security required watching over a bunch of old folks on their way out. There's nothing really here worth stealing. No drugs, no expensive equipment. The patients aren't even in a state to get out of bed, let alone cause any trouble worth talking about. At least, that's what I thought. The first time in 15 years of work I'd ever felt afraid in the hospice was when they wheeled in Isaiah MacDonald. Now before I saw Isaiah, I had seen some disturbing stuff. Dementia patients talking to the walls. Old men with cancer-riddled brains moaning like ghosts. 
Elderly ladies so emaciated, you could shine a light through their stomachs and see their spine on the other side. None of that had the effect on me that motionless old man in the gurney had. He was so still. Only way I could tell he was breathing was his machine whirling beside him. But his eyes, wide open, staring out into the oblivion with horror as if they had seen the end of it all. It was pretty rare that I saw patients coming in, and I guess the nurse thought I was the sensitive type. She caught me staring at him, so she leant over and told me he had something called locked-in syndrome. I asked her what it was, all the while compelled to stare at the man pinned to the bed. She told me he was in a routine operation and they got the dosage of the meds wrong, which poisoned him. His brainstem and the lower part of his brain were severely damaged, the upper part untouched. Essentially, Isaiah was in a waking coma. As she told me this, his eyes began darting around the room like ping-pong balls, when suddenly they locked with mine. I tried to avert my gaze, but I couldn't break his glare. It was as if he was staring straight into me, to places no one had ever seen. They got him into the bay and drew the curtain. I snapped out of it. It took me a moment to get my thoughts back together. Just imagine in that moment, one day you're healthy and happy, living your best life as nothing could ever go wrong. Then someone flips the switch and you find yourself trapped inside your own body, mind still sharp as it is right now, only you're unable to move, unable to speak, so damaged even your lungs need help to work. But you're still completely aware of everything going on around you. There's no hope to be free. You're just waiting to die. Despite my fear, I could not help but feel for the guy. It's one thing to have your mind eaten away by the confusion of dementia. It's another to watch your body decay around you whilst you feel like you still had it together. I asked about Isaiah, his family and friends. The nurses told me he had a wife who had died earlier that year. No kids. He'd moved to the area recently and did not have an emergency contact. Only reason he had enough for the room was because of his insurance, which was paid by some organisation. Looking back, I guess my first mistake was feeling some kind of kinship with him. He didn't have anyone, just like I didn't have anyone. Plus, with him being in his state, I knew I wouldn't have to make small talk with him or listen to him yammering. I figured, what would it hurt if I went into his room and talked to him while I was passing? It felt kind of strange talking to anyone like that. Opening a conversation, I wasn't used to it. At first, I started to talk about the weather, the news instantly despising myself each time I felt myself drifting into petty conversation, aborting and cursing myself as I continued on my rounds. But every time I passed, he was there waiting, a captive audience, if you will. I started talking to him about a true crime podcast I was listening to. It was about a decades-old unsolved missing persons case, 
so I was describing the police investigation to him, told him what I thought of it and what I thought happened. I'd keep him up to date each night I passed and soon got into more personal topics. I told Isaiah about my family, how my dad was distant and my mum was dead, how no one really liked me but I didn't mind. I told him about my life and my dream to one day host my own true crime podcast, how I slept and ate alone, how I really had no one. All the while during these conversations, Isaiah would have fixed me with his stare. It was hypnotic. I felt like I was pouring myself into him. A trickle opened into a torrent until he released me and I would go back to my rounds. These conversations, if you can really call them that, they always left me feeling dazed and so very tired, like I had awoken from a deep sleep partway through. Each time I told myself that this was the last time, yet the next night when I was passing that room, I could not help but go inside and drain some more of myself away. The night Isaiah spoke was the last night I felt peace. I was doing my mid-shift rounds at about 3am as usual. I remember how quiet the building was when I walked. Thinking back, I don't even recall my shoes making sounds as they hit the floor. It felt like a forest where everything goes utterly silent. I drifted to Isaiah's moonlit room and inside. He was sitting up in bed, bolt upright, his eyes fixed on mine. So wide they could have popped from his skull, brilliant white against the darkness around him. He was skinny by then, and as I went forward, he reached out with his skeletal hands, beckoning me closer. It felt wrong, but I wasn't afraid. I felt like a child being carried to bed with a fever. Tumbling away from myself and towards the blackness, his jaw unhinged and creaked open. With each pump of the ventilator, he rasped out a language that sounded like death gasps. I lowered my head to him like cattle, and he clamped onto it with unknown power. I felt his claws dig into my skin, my skull shuddering as he forced his way inside. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The nurse slapped me across my face and I came around to her petrified eyes searching mine, 
I was standing in the door of Isaiah's room, rooted to the spot. With a wavering voice, the nurse asked me what was wrong. She told me I had been screaming. Terror erupted through me like a geyser. I blurted out Isaiah's name, repeated it again and again and again. Aghast, I pointed to the darkened room, to where my attacker was surely lying in wait to again pounce. The nurse flipped the light switch and there he was, asleep in his bed, the ventilator gently clicking by his side. I said I didn't understand, that he attacked me, his hands. The nurse checked the machinery surrounding the withered older man. She told me everything looked normal, nothing had changed. I didn't believe it, but I couldn't bring myself to enter the room. I told her we had to check the CCTV footage. Each room is fitted with a camera. Some of the other patients were stirring. A couple had made their way into the hall, no doubt disturbed by my apparent scream. The nurse said she needed to tend to them and said about her duty. I made my way for the security desk. The bank of monitors glowed before me like mystic windows to the past. I squinted at them, trying to focus my blurred vision. My thoughts still felt groggy as if I'd woken up still drunk from the night before. Not that I drink much, that's just how I felt. I managed to align my vision long enough to key in the correct camera. My heart lurched as the sleeping old man manifested on the screen. I rewound the footage until I saw myself and the nurse in the doorway. Kept going. As the timestamp sped backwards, a static version of me remained pinned to the spot in the doorway, staring into the room like some kind of jittery weirdo. By the time I saw myself reverse away from the room, 12 minutes of the video had elapsed. 12 minutes. The attack was over in a flash. Thoughts fogged over again. I pressed play and watched myself stroll up to the doorway and pull up to look inside. Then I just stood there, barely moving a muscle but not looking especially strange, just standing there, taking note of the old men on the bed. At the 11 minute 34 second mark, the woman on the screen burst into life nearly shocking me off my chair. She just started screaming, face contorted like I'd never seen myself before. The nurse came into view and I paused the tape. It had felt so real, but it was impossible. Had I had an aneurysm? Was there a tumour the size of a golf ball in my brain, fixing to send me into one of those beds I'd been walking past all these years? Nausea crept into my throat and I closed my eyes tight. Should probably get one of the doctors to look at me tomorrow, I figured. As the acid receded back down my esophagus and the urge to vomit had passed, my head began to clear. I decided to check the other camera, the one looking into the room. I flipped over to the correct channel and the old men in the bed appeared on the screen. I rewound it to the time I had arrived to his room. Hit play. Instantly it hit me. The eyes. Glowing in the night. Fixed wide on the doorway where I stood out of shot. 
A shiver crept down my spine as I watched Isaiah, unmoving in the darkness, his eyes never blinking. The timestamp showed I had started screaming. The eyes flickered closed. I spent the rest of my shift sitting at the security desk. My thoughts felt cloudy and distant. All I wanted was to go home and go to sleep. The first light of dawn came and my shift ended without further incident. I made the automatic commute back to my apartment, climbed the stairs and collapsed into bed. I shut my eyes in hopes that a good rest was all I needed to shake off the strangeness of last night. As I drifted off, it felt like a half-remembered dream, or something that happened to someone else at some other time. Tendrils reached out from the depths and dragged me into sleep. My eyes flickered open. I was lying in a bed, which wasn't my own, in a strange room. I felt uncomfortable, but somehow numb. I glanced around, trying to get my bearings. There was the rhythmic sound of machinery besides my head. The place was utterly still, grey. Thin cobwebs hung around the place. A layer of filth covered everything, making the modern furniture look ancient. I attempted to sit up to get a better look, but my muscles would not obey. I willed movement with all my might, but nothing. Not even a twitch. I was pinned under some great weight, unable to muster so much as a wiggle of my toe. I realised where I was. It was his bed. Isaiah's. But why was I here? I was already finished my shift. I had left. I was asleep at home. Relief washed over me at my revelation. I was asleep. This was just a bizarre dream. I lay in the dusty hospice bed, convincing myself I would wake at any moment in my own bed. I'd never had a lucid dream before. I had no idea a dream could feel so real. But why had I not woken up? Usually when the dreamer notices he's in a dream, his brain shorts out and he wakes up. But I was still here, in what felt like real time. Something was in the hall. My body filled with dread. In the absence of all other sensation, it became my world. I lay with my eyes fixed on the closed door. It was out there, moving towards me. It made no sound, but I could feel it. The pressure of the room increased as it approached. Like the room had slipped off the side of Marina Trench, drifting down to the blackest parts of the ocean. My eyes felt as though they would burst from my head. I closed them tight to squeeze them back into my skull. It was at the door, waiting. My heart pounded in my chest, shaking my whole body. I knew if whatever it was came in and looked into my eyes, it would ruin me. The door opened. I gasped and threw myself off the bed. I kept my eyes closed tight and raised my hands to protect my head from the being. No attack came. Slowly, I opened my eyes and looked around. It was my apartment. No cobwebs, no machinery, no presence creeping in the hall. 
Before I could quite register the nausea, vomit exploded from my mouth onto the floor. I rose to get a towel to clean up the mess, but my legs went to mush and I collapsed. My entire body felt stiff, like I'd just run a marathon. I must have come down with some pretty nasty illness. The flu, probably. I wrenched myself from the floor and staggered into the living room where I had left my phone. It struck me as strange, but I was naked. I usually sleep in an old t-shirt and boxes, but that was the least of my worries. It was 6pm, one hour before my shift was to begin. I was starting to feel better, but I decided I should probably take the night off. The hospice is pretty strict about coming to work if you have something like the flu. Too many high-risk patients. My boss was understanding, told me to see a doctor if my symptoms persisted. I told her I would and I hung up. After slumping on the couch, there was a knock on the door. I groaned. No one ever visited me, so it couldn't be anything important. But the person knocked again, politely and cheerfully. I made my way to the peephole and looked out. It was my neighbour, Mrs Patton. We never said as much as hello in the hall before. I only knew her name from the mail that sometimes mistakenly ends up in my mailbox. What could she possibly want? She looked well enough. I decided against the interaction and was turning back to head to the couch when something slid under the door. It was a note. If she had some kind of problem, she could get lost. Now was not the time. I opened the folded paper anyway. Dear Ali, thank you so much for helping me today. It's heartening to know I have such a lovely young woman as a neighbour. I've baked some cookies as thanks. You'll find them on your doorstep. If you ever need anything, feel free to pop over the hallway and knock on my door. Thank you again and God bless. Pamela. Great, I thought. Not only is the woman across the hall losing her marbles, but now I'm involved in her delusions. Should steer clear of her as best as I can. That kind of crazy has a way of sucking people in. I screwed the note up and tossed it in the direction of the trash. Missed. I spent the rest of the day feeling totally worn out. Though, to be honest, it didn't change how I spent the day compared to how I spend all my other days off. I lounged around the apartment, too tired for video games, watched the same series on Netflix I'd already seen countless times before. I tried to force myself to research a bit on an unsolved murder I was interested in, but as usual I couldn't find the willpower and just went to the fridge instead. Frozen pizza for dinner again. Spaced out, I barely even noticed as my conscious began to drift, lulled off gently by the chatter of the fake lovers on the television. I closed my eyes for just a moment. I batted my eyes open, must have dozed off. The room was dark around me, but it smelt dank and rotten. Gradually, my vision adjusted to the gloom and my heart sank. I was back in the hospice bed, pinned to it by my own body. The room had changed. Black mould covered everything. 
seething out from beneath the furniture and up the walls. Air thick with spores that was pumping into my feeble lungs with each click of the machine besides me. I wanted to cough to clear my throat, but even that was impossible. I tried to wrench myself from the dream, to will myself out of it, but it was futile. The machine clicks intensified. My heart pounded with the quickening rhythm. It was coming. The spores in the air whirled around me with each step outside of the hall. I could hear it now. Each step a thump of some great mass slamming into the ground. The pressure in the room was unbearable, enough to buckle the door in its frame. Its curdling breath billowed through the cracks in the door. I winced my eyes shut, heard the door scream open on its bent hinges. The thing was in the room, willing me to look at it. It was moving closer. I could smell it now. An ancient thing, rotted moss and dirt. I felt it reach out for me. I rolled off the couch and onto the floor screaming, could feel the filth from the room clinging to my skin. I made a blind dash for the door but tripped and sprawled on the carpet. Lying panting, I realised I was home, back in my home. I was Ali, I was me. This was no ordinary illness. Something was severely wrong. Orange light streamed through the window. My analogue clock was no help. 5. AM or PM? I checked my phone. I'd slept for almost 10 hours, yet I felt like I'd been awake for days. I needed a doctor. Medical help. Maybe the nurses at the hospice could offer me some advice. I unlocked my phone to call, but I noticed an unread message that popped on the screen. I opened it. Hey, great meeting you last night. I don't usually do that kind of thing. I'm a nice girl, really. Call me whenever. X. No telltale link of some seedy site at the end of the message. No request for money or to follow her on some social media page. Even the number looked legit below the saved contact. Amber. I decided to ignore it and call the number of the hospice. The head nurse picked up. I told her who it was, but before I had a chance to ask her advice, she was already thanking me enthusiastically for stopping by with donuts for the staff, saying she always knew I was a sweet girl. I was dumbfounded. She said she was happy I was feeling so much better, that she had never seen me so perky. She asked me how my plans were going for the trip. Trip? What trip? She said the one I had asked so kindly to have time off for at short notice. I asked her when I had booked this time off. She told me three days ago. But wasn't that a Sunday? No, she said. Today was Friday. I dropped the phone. That meant three days had passed since I had fallen asleep on the couch. Had I been sleeping for three whole days? That couldn't be right. And how had I booked time off in my sleep? I could hear her asking for me from the floor. I picked up the phone, made up an excuse and hung up. My head was swimming, or rather sinking. My body felt totally used up. I could have fallen back to sleep then and there. 
The only thing keeping my eyes open was the dread pulsing around my body with each heartbeat. I had to find answers. There had to be some kind of clue, some link to what was happening. I remembered the message on my phone. Amber. Hey you, said the sultry voice on the other line. You don't play games, I like that. I asked her who she was. There was a pause on the other side. She asked me what I meant. I demanded to know what the hell was going on. Amber told me I was being weird. I ignored her and demanded again. She called me a host of vulgar names. She said she guessed she was wrong about me and hung up. What was her problem? I looked around the apartment. Everything was so neat and tidy. No dirty dishes. No empty takeaway boxes on the floor. Even my magazines and video games had been neatly put away on the shelf in alphabetical order. What sick bastard had did this to my stuff? I checked the trash. Vegetable wrappers from the supermarket. All organic. I dashed to the fridge. Stocked with more fruit. More organic vegetables. Some rice with quinoa written on it. Apricots. Meat from the local butcher. Where was my mustard? Where were my pickles? My hot dogs? A white-hot needle shot from behind my eyes. So painful I nearly collapsed. Worst migraine in my life. Wincing, I checked my phone. Checked the history on my browser. I scrolled past a number of charity websites I apparently visited over the past three days. First time for everything, I suppose. There had to be something I was missing. I checked the files. There was one recording. Playme.mp3. My blood froze as my own voice rang through the tinny speaker. It was me. The same pitch and accent, yet somehow calmer and more lucid. Hello, Ali. Don't be startled. I know this all must be very distressing for you. For that, I apologise. It is not my intention to frighten you, but vessels rarely offer as much resilience as you have. You should be proud. I'll admit you're not a prime candidate, but I cannot wait. My current vessel is damaged beyond repair, and I must transition soon. Unfortunately for you, amongst the staff in the hospice, your existence is least worthy. You have squandered your chance of finding meaning on this earth, and if you look within yourself, you know this will never change. That is not my doing. It is your own. Sadly, this is a state for most vessels, doomed to be used up and shriveled away without finding any purpose at all. A drop in the ocean, as they say. I want to make the world a better place, Ali. I want to make something of your vessel. Give it to me. Give in. Rest. Make it easy on yourself, as you always have. And know that you will be loved and adored by all. They will build statues for you and praise your name. Give yourself to me, Ali. Sleep. At that a guttural chanting began playing from the speaker. Instinctively I hurled the phone into the wall, shattering it into silence. I stood for a moment, exhaustion pulling my eyelids down, adrenaline holding them up. 
Something was coming up the stairs. That smell. Decay. Ancient dirt. It was thudding down the hall. Cobwebs began to form around me. I shook my head and they disappeared. But then they began to gather again. The thudding reached the door, filling the room with stench. The apartment itself twisted around me. I ran to the sink and splashed my face with water. The reek wafted away and back in with each cold splash. I was fading. In desperation, I went to the toaster, set it, took a deep breath. I jammed my finger into the glowing filament. The toaster exploded. I flew back and onto the ground, more awake than I had been in my whole life. I lay on the floor panting, looking around. Everything was normal. The only smell now was burnt hair, which smelled amazing compared to what it had replaced. I had to stay awake, just long enough for that bastard to die. I rummaged through my drawers, found the trucker pills I had bought when I started the job. They were still in date. I boiled the kettle, washed down twice the recommended dose of the pills with black coffee. It has been 32 hours now since I heard myself on the recording. My heart is beating like a jackhammer. I'm so wide I don't recognise my own face in the mirror anymore. I look old. Every time my head drops, I hear that thing outside getting stronger, beating on the door and groaning. It wants to be let in. It wants to see me. I think it may be death itself. Maybe it's whatever Isaiah MacDonald really is. I don't know. Right now I'm doing anything I can to stay awake, to stop myself drifting off. That's why I'm recording all of this today. Not even sure if anyone will believe it when they hear it. What else can I do? Call the cops? Yeah, right. I've considered going to the hospice and killing Isaiah myself. But even when that thing in the hall is keeping quiet, I know it's out there. I can feel it. It wants me to leave the apartment. It wants me to go right to it. By the time anyone hears this, I'll either be me or I'll be gone. Not sure how much longer I can hold out. The cobwebs are covering everything now. When the thing outside groans, it sounds fierce and angry. At least I can still move my arms and legs. Think I'll watch some more TV, take the last of my trucker pills and maybe another cold shower. I wish I actually made that podcast. It might have even been pretty good. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 